0: Let us pray together. Our Father, as we come to our time of study in your word today, we pray, Lord, that you would direct our thoughts and attentions uh, to you uh, through the study of your word. Father, we pray that um, this message would not fall upon deaf ears, but it would accomplish the purpose for which uh, you have sent it. Father, I pray that we may be warned, and I pray, Father, we may be um, encouraged uh, through our time of study in the word today. Father, as we take a look at how bad things will be in the tribulation over the next couple of weeks, may we understand that there are indeed practical, applicable truths that apply to our lives through the study of Your Word. For every scripture, all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Even the... um, the, Passages found in Revelation chapter 6 uh, through chapter 18. Father, I pray that You would just um, again direct our thoughts and attentions to accomplish Your purpose among Your people today. And we'll give You the praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've come to study the book of the Revelation, we have spent quite a bit of time walking through the first five chapters. We have completed chapter 5, and we now transition into a new section. If you will remember, the outline to the book of Revelation is found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, where the Lord Jesus tells John, Therefore, write the things which you have seen. And the things which John saw were found in Revelation chapter 1. And that was the vision of the resurrected, glorified Christ not coming in meekness, but when John turned and saw the Lord Jesus Christ, he saw Him adorned in His judgment attire, His judgment status. And so John was to write the things that he saw. He was also to write the things which are. And we have said that the letters to the churches and uh, found in uh, Revelation chapter two and chapter three um, are the letters. Uh, are the things which are the things that were taking place, the state of the church at that particular time. And we studied those intensely, including the overcomer passages that are found in those and those overcomer promises. That are there, and we'll be touching on those again uh, even next week. But then he says, and the things which will take place after these things. And so Revelation chapter 4 is the beginning of the things that must take place after these things. We've spent a considerable number of weeks looking at Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 4, it's about God. Uh, as Creator, and and about the throne room of God, and the fact that God is seated upon His throne. In Revelation chapter 5, God is still on His throne, and He holds out in His right hand the scroll, which is the title deed of the earth. As long as the title deed of the earth stays sealed, and as long as the wrath of God is not poured out, then the promises of God cannot be fulfilled. And there was only one who was found worthy to take the scroll out of the right hand of God and to break the seals on that scroll. Even though John said that there was no one in heaven, there was no one on earth, and there was no one under the earth who was found worthy, even though he began to weep loudly... They told him, John, do not weep, for there is one who is worthy, and we have seen that the one who is worthy is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And when John turns to see the lion of the tribe of Judah, instead of looking and seeing a ferocious lion like he was expecting, he saw a lamb standing as if slain from the foundation of the world. And this is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ as we have looked and talked about uh, in the past weeks. And we've talked about the harps and we've talked about the bowls of incense and we've talked about the angels saying versus singing and all of those things that took place there in the throne room of heaven. And now the work begins when it comes to the tribulation. The tribulation. In Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 18, we see the unfolding of the tribulation uh, of God's wrath and judgment upon the earth. And basically, it comes through a series of as the seals are broken, God's judgment is poured out. When we get to the last seal, the seventh seal, um, we see that then uh, that's not the conclusion, but that's the beginning of the, uh, of the trumpet judgments, and at the end of the trumpets, then we have the bowl judgments, and so we have a cascading series of increasing devastation that is poured out upon the earth in the period known as the seven-year tribulation uh, three and a half years, it becomes the Great Tribulation. And we're going to unpack these verses and look through and see. And what I hope to show you in the days ahead as we study this next section of Scripture, that this is very important for us to know and very important for us to understand. And also, listen to this, even though I believe that we will not participate on earth in those events, there are practical applications for every New Testament believer. And there is there, there are promises for us to know. There are encouragements for us to be reminded of. And there are things that we need to know and understand. My purpose for studying this is because it's found in God's Word. And if you remember, even as I said earlier, that all Scripture is profitable. If God has given it to us, He's given it to us to know and to study and to understand and to uh, believe. And so while there are certainly, there is certainly mystery and there are certainly things in the book of Revelation that may be less obvious or ambiguous, I believe it's not as uh, um, ambiguous as people uh, make it out to be. But as I've said in times before, you cannot study the book of Revelation without first studying both the Old Testament and the New Testament and seeing the context and seeing the things and what the rest of Scripture has to say and how it bears upon what we see in the book of the Revelation. So as we look in Revelation chapter 6 and we see the first seal and the introduction of the four horsemen, I was thinking this week that that it has been a while and we've had new families come uh, since we really took time to uh, understand and kind of see what the tribulation was. In fact, if my memory serves me well, and I would not hold me to that, uh, certainly uh, these days, then I think it was even when we were studying, we were still meeting at the Lighthouse at Harvest Baptist Church uh, on Sunday evening that we kind of went over uh, some of this material in much more detail. In depth than we will now. But I do want to summarize broadly the things that we have looked at before for the sake of all the new people who are coming before we just jump into Revelation chapter 6, so that by the time we get here and begin to unpack this uh, verse by verse, um, uh, seal by seal, trumpet by trumpet, bowl by bowl, then it will all begin to make sense in terms of who is involved who is directing, who is doing the the action, uh, and who is participants, and most importantly for the New Testament church, who is excluded from experiencing those things. So today I want to look at the idea surrounding the tribulation. We're going to spend this week and next week. This week the message is going to be, you are not here. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I go to somewhere like a mall or if I go to Tanger Outlets and all of those things, um, I, I don't like to just wander around if I'm trying to get somewhere. I always go to that little directory and there's always a little circle and that little circle says, you are here, right? You are here. Well, today we're going to look at if we walked up to that directory and that directory was the earth where all this tribulation and all these things were going to take place. um, We're going to see today that you as a New Testament church, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not here. You are not here. But then next week when we look at the tribulation, then we have to say, well, if I'm not here, then where am I? And so next week the message is going to be you are are here. You are here. So as we look at this week, I want to we've got to, again, walk through some Scriptures, um, and I want to stir you up by way of reminder. That's what Scripture calls us to do, to stir one another up by way of reminder. I want to invite you, and I put the passages here that we're going to walk through uh, this morning. Psalm 2 is where we are going to uh, begin. Psalm 2. In Psalm 2 we see uh, in my Bible, this is entitled, The Reign of the Lord's Anointed. The Reign of the Lord's Anointed. And in Psalm chapter 2, we are getting a picture of things that are taking place uh, here upon uh, the earth. Notice what it says in Psalm 2, verse 1. Why are the nations raging? Or why are the nations in an uproar? and the people's devising a vain thing. Now, notice what they're doing. They're doing all of this in vain. They're devising this plan that will turn out to be vanity of vanities. But what is it they're doing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together. Now, look at this. Against the Lord. And against his anointed. If you have a Bible that that points out or indicates passages that refer to uh, prophecy, uh, then you may have uh, an asterisk by the Lord's anointed or anointing, or it may be, as it is in my Bible, a capital letter. When it's talking about against the Lord and against his anointed, that means the Messiah. Uh, That means the Christ. The the rulers of the earth are devising a plan against the Lord and against His anointed. They don't want any part of the reign and rule of God. They wish that we could just remove God from everyone's consciences. Everyone can do right as they did in the book of Judges, do do what was right in their own eyes. Why do we have to have this moral being above us telling us what we can and what, what we can't do? Why can't we just do things the way we want to do it? But why can't we live our own life our own way? And they are devising a plan in their minds to remove God from his throne and God's standards from the practice of the population. Um, we can see evidence of that today, particularly when it comes to right abortion, when it comes to same sex marriage, when it comes to so many things that are being legislated that are in opposition to what god 's word says. We are seeing some of those things happen and take place in our generation just like they 've happened and taken place in every generation before now, in some in greater capacities in parts of the world uh, than others, but ultimately. The world itself is devising a scheme against God. Now, as we look, and I want to say this by way of application and reminder, we're going to see, even today, that this period known as the Tribulation is un- it's incomparable. It is unlike anything that has ever, been, uh, that has ever taken place upon the earth. And yet, at the same time, there have been rumblings of these things and cycles of these things that are happening and taking place all throughout. So much so that some people see Revelation 6 through 18 in terms of the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, they see those as repeating cycles that have happened throughout history rather than the events and culmination in one seven-year period of time. And while I certainly think and I believe that there is a tribulation, and I do believe that it is unlike anything, even as we will see today, I also believe that we can look and see these things that will take place in the tribulation period of time, and we can identify these things happening and taking place in the world throughout history and throughout all of all of history, but they will ultimately culminate and ultimately climax in the period we're studying in the book of... Revelation. So as you see these things and as you see them, um, uh, these things happening and taking place, you'll be able to identify with things that are happening in our world today and things that have happened throughout history. But I want you to understand that when it comes to the tribulation, even the Lord Jesus says that there has never been a day. There's never been a time. There's never been anything like it upon the earth. And therefore, we have nothing with which to compare the things that will take place place that we're going to study in Revelation chapter 6. So look at what they're saying. They're, they're, they're taking counsel against the Lord and against His anointed, and they're saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. We don't need God. We don't need God's boundaries. We don't need God's law. We don't need God's rule. In fact, we don't even need God. In fact, the world today believes that, that they are God. And the rules of what's right and what's wrong is what the majority say and what the majority accepts, and even today we see that they are casting off, trying to, the fetters and the cords from us. We're going to see that when it comes to the book of Revelation. If you will remember, that we'll see that in the beginning of the period known as the Tribulation, the people were saying, peace and safety. This is good. There's going to be a one world religion. There's going to be a one, one uh, world commerce. There's going to be so many things. There's going to be peace in Israel and Jerusalem, peace in the Middle East, and all these things. And they're going to be saying at the beginning of Revelation chapter six, peace and safety and all is well. We've succeeded. We've cast off the fetters and the bonds of God and his anointed But beloved, not by the time we get to Revelation chapter 18, but by the time we get to the end of Revelation chapter 6, they are going to be in caves crying out and screaming and experiencing anything other than peace and safety. And that's just the beginning because we have Revelation 7, 8, 9, 10, and all to go through until we get to chapter 18. The Lord is not put off by this at all. Verse four, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. If you've been with us before, then you understand that God is speaking of a future event And he's using the past tense. It's called a proleptic statement. A proleptic statement. If you look now, God's anointed is not on the throne reigning and ruling like He will be in the future. But it is so sure and God is so confident that it's going to happen, He speaks of it in the past tense. Um, he, it's a it's a proleptic statement. Um, now when we look, we see, now he reigns and rules in the Christian's heart and life. So there's an aspect that he's reigning and ruling, but not in a sense of over the earth, not in the sense of over heaven, uh, over the earth, as we see uh, will be happening when we get to Revelation chapter 19 and chapter chapter 20. But what it's talking about is, is, so it's talking about he's going to speak to them in his anger, he's going to terrify them in the fury, that will take place during the tribulation, beginning Revelation chapter 6, and when we get later on in chapter 19, chapter 20, then we're going to see Christ reigning and ruling as king, and by the way, you remember the Bible says that we as believers will reign and rule with him. Verse 7, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give, not the Jews, but the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth your possession. Now, notice what it says because John chapter 5, verse 22 says that all judgment has been given to the Son. Jesus came as Savior the first time. He's going to come again the second time, and He's going to come as judge. All judgment has been given to the Son. And notice what it says in verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall shatter them like earthenware. Beloved, when is this going to take place? though there have been devastations and there have been things that have happened that have caused this, this we're going to see is going to be unlike any other day and it will take place during the tribulation period. God is going to bring judgment through the sun upon the earth and therefore in light of those coming events, we get this word of counsel in verse 10 that says now therefore, O king, show discernment take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with, tremble, with trembling. Kiss the Son that He may not become angry and you perish in the way. And look at this warning. For His wrath may soon be kindled. Beloved, what you see in Revelation chapter 6 Is the kindling of the wrath of God's Son. What you see there is the point, it wasn't in His first coming. (laughs) In His first coming, yes, He showed righteous anger. Yes, He took the whips. Yes, He turned over the tables. Yes, He said, my house, uh, my Father's house be a house of prayer. and You've made it a den of thieves. And yes, He brought those things. But He ultimately came meek and humble and low. But beloved, when He comes again, as we saw in Revelation chapter 1, and when we see Re- the seals in Revelation chapter 6 unfold, we are going to see Him in His fury and Him in His wrath. And His wrath, as it says, may soon be kindled. Are you living in light of the return of Christ? And notice what it says. It says that you are blessed. I love this. It says, how blessed are all who take refuge in in Him, You see, for those who know the Lord, He is our high tower. He is our defender. He is the one in whom we take refuge. And we as believers, as we do that, listen, the Bible says that we indeed are blessed. But those apart from Christ will feel the furor of His wrath. Go over with me. Turn to the right of your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30 uh, in the Bible. So you're just going to, we sort of started as far left as you can go, so you shouldn't have to turn left again. Keep turning to the right, and you will find uh, Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, remember Jeremiah was the was a prophet who was sent to warn uh, the Jews to return to God or else the judgment would come. Remember that, that Jeremiah when he preached and he preached on the coming judgment that he didn't do so um, uh, just with uh, harshness and words but he did it as a weeping prophet because God was breaking him and doing a work in him as a prophet even as he was working through him to deliver the messages to the people that indeed judgment was coming. Jeremiah chapter 30, we're going to pick up in verse 4 for the sake of time. Jeremiah says, now these are the words which the Lord spoke, now look at this, concerning Israel and concerning Judah. So the things that the Lord is speaking in Jeremiah 30 are to the Jews. Very, very Jewish in nature. Now you need to understand that in biblical times there were only two groups of people that were separated. There were the Jews, or delineated, They were the Jews... And those who were not who, who were not Jews, born in one of the twelve tribes of Israel, they were considered Gentiles. So it didn't matter who you were, it didn't matter what you believed, didn't matter all those things. If you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. Now Muslims uh, early on and even today do it in three segments. You have Jews, you have Muslims, and if you're not Jewish, you're not Muslim, then you're a Christian. So you could be the, the worst atheist that you could possibly believe, but to a Muslim, you're categorized into the Christian, the infidel uh, category. But in Bible times, you only had the Jews and the Gentiles. And so this is speaking of what's going to happen to the Jews concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus says the Lord, I have heard a sound of terror of dread. Now, look at this. Look at this. Again, describing things that are going to take place in the future during the tribulation of dread. And there is no peace. Now, I want to think about that for just a moment. Because how many times have you in the business of life, and when things kind of pile up on you, you simply say, Lord, if I could just have a little peace, a little quiet. How many times have we said to our children, shh. Zip, right? We need a little peace, a little quiet. In that day when things are much, much worse than the situation and circumstances in our lives, There will be no peace available. No peace to have. There is no peace. Ask now and see if a male can give birth. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in childbirth? Such pain, such agony and Toil And why have all their faces turned pale? What do they see? What are they experiencing? That, 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 listen, their face just turns pale. All the blood rushes and leaves their face. Alas, for that day is great. Now, let's be clear. That day in the Bible, the word day sometimes means a 24-hour period of time. But sometimes the word day means a season or a period of time. Just like the word hour. Remember we talked about the word hour. When Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, He came out and He says, What, couldn't you pray with me for one hour? He was talking about a 60 minute period of time. But at other times when he says the hour of the power of the darkness, he wasn't talking about 60 minutes. He was talking about a period, a season of time uh, there. Same thing with the word day. We talk about the day of the Lord. It's not going to be one 24-hour period of time. But but for um, those of us who are uh, uh, among us who are a little bit older, if you were, you ever heard yourself saying this, back in the day this happened or that happened now you're not saying back one day for a 24 hour period of time you're saying during this designated season of your life how much different things things were things were same here same here alas for that day that season that period of time is great now now look at this when we get to the tribulation that we the reason we have such a difficult time understanding what's going to take place in the tribulation is because it says here there is none like it there's nothing to compare it to It is the time of Jacob's trouble or Jacob's distress. Now remember, he's talking to the Jews. We're going to see this again when we get to Daniel here in just a minute. But basically, as bad as the Holocaust was to Jewish people, and it was bad, it was devastating. And I'm not minimizing that at all in my next statement. As bad as the Holocaust was, without minimizing, without 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 reducing it in any way whatsoever, the Holocaust pales in comparison to what the Jews are going to experience in the tribulation period. There is nothing that's ever happened or will happen that can be compared to the things that are going to befall the Jews in the tribulation period. It is the time of Jacob's distress which which is very, very Jewish in nature. It shall come about on that day, declares the Lord of hosts. Verse 8 says that I will break his yoke from off their neck and will tear off their bonds, and the stranger will no longer make them their slaves. But they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord. And do not be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your offspring from the land of their captivity. And Jacob will return and will be quiet and at ease. Beloved, the Jewish people, though they're Back of the land, they cannot say that things are quiet or at ease. When is this talking about? This is talking about at the return of Christ, at the end of the tribulation period, when the Messiah comes. Remember, remember, the vast majority are going to be killed through the tribulation, and we have talked about that before. Two thirds of the Jewish population are going to be cut off. Uh, Isaiah chapter six says that only a tenth will remain; the rest, just a stump, the whole tree, uh, if you will. Of the lineage of the Jews is going to be cut off, but as you know, in times we've studied before, there is a remnant that God will save through there, and this is the remnant that He is talking about. That Jacob will return and will be quiet and at ease, and no one will make him afraid. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to to save you. Now, notice verse eleven: For I will destroy completely all the nations. Where I've scattered you, folks, there's been devastation and destruction that have happened to nations throughout the history of the world, but not never have the nation's plural been completely uh, destroyed, but that day is coming. God says this, only I will not destroy you completely. there will be a remnant, but I will chasten you justly. And will by no means leave you unpunished. When Christ comes, He is going to come in judgment and pour out His wrath. And it will be utter devastation unlike anything the world has ever seen. And yet, there will be a remnant who are saved through the fire. Turn right if you would, in Daniel, Daniel chapter twelve. So when we get to the tribulation, based upon what we've seen, we will not be surprised to see the Jews being recipients of the tribulation. We're not going to be surprised to see the Jews there. So when we get to Revelation chapter 6 and we see the wrath of God being poured out on the Jews, we're going to say, well, yeah, no surprise there because the Bible says that. It says that in Psalm 2. It says that in Jeremiah 30. It says it in other places uh, as well. Daniel chapter 12, the last chapter in the book of Daniel. The Bible says in verse 1, Now at that time, Michael the archangel, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress. Now look at this. "...such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time your people, everyone who's found written in the book, will be rescued." So look at this. "...time of distress, such as never occurred since there was a nation." So notice who's at play here. "...at that time Michael will arise." So when we get to Revelation chapter 6 and begin to study, we're not going to be surprised to see that the angels take part and play a role in that time. Why? Because Daniel chapter 12 says that at that time Michael's going to rise. At what time? At the time during the uh, the time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation. Now, verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These Now notice there are only two options for those who are asleep, who will will awake. Only two options. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. There are only two options. There are only two options. Either a believer is going to die and be raised to live again and, and, and walk with Christ and be with Him in heaven, or they're going to be raised into everlasting destruction. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words, seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase and just if you would, just for the sake of time, all of this kind of talks about the the the, the three and a half years. Notice in verse seven uh, that there are going to be a time, times and half a time. That's three and a half years going to equal the great tribulation. It talks about the Antichrist. In the first half, the first half of the tribulation, the Antichrist makes a a pact with Israel. Jesus talks about this in Matthew twenty four. We've seen this in, in Daniel earlier as well in the book of Revelation. And then the Antichrist violates that peace pact and starts persecuting Israel, desecrates the church, the abomination of desolation, which ultimately happens at the tribulation period in the season called the Great Tribulation. But since we're here, look down in verse 13, but as for you, go your way to the end, then you will enter into rest and rise again when at the end, at the end of the age for your allotted portion at the end of the age. So there are going to be many who are going to be utterly destroyed during the tribulation period of time. Those who died before will either be raised to everlasting destruction uh, and judgment or to everlasting life. And God assures Daniel of the, at the end that he will be raised and given his allotted portion when Christ returns at the end. Well, Jesus has some things to say about this time as well. Look in Matthew chapter 24. So we're in the New Testament now. Matthew chapter 24. <clears throat> Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives "...and the disciples came to Him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of Your coming and of the end of the age?" So they asked three questions. Uh, scholars uh, debate whether Jesus answered all three questions or if He just answered uh, one. Um, but basically, Jesus gives the information... Um, uh, about the things that are going to come uh, at the end of the age. Verse 4, Jesus answered and said, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in My name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of war, see that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes but all these things now look at this are merely the beginning of birth pangs okay now we're going to get to here in a couple of weeks A lot of people, they like to sort of try to predict when Christ is going to come and they look around and say, oh, there's an earthquake, oh, there's wars, there's rumors of wars, there are all these things that are coming out, there's all these signs of the end times. What we're going to see when we get to Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, that there are four horsemen of the apocalypse. And these four horsemen usher in the four things that you see here happening. So this is going to happen. What Jesus is talking to is not just that things will continue to get worse and worse and worse as we move to the point of tribulation. I used to believe, I used to believe that ultimately what was going to happen is, is that the world was just going to continue to down spiral and down spiral and reject God and get worse and worse and worse until, until uh, it is, you know, self destructed. God was going to come back and bring in the tribulation and things along those times. Listen to me. When the tribulation, when the tribulation comes and happens, particularly in the very beginning of that, things are not going to be bad. They're going to be great. There's going to be peace. There's going to be, right? There's going to be things happen. right? What are the prophets saying? Peace, peace, when there is no peace, and then sudden destruction is going to come upon them. We're going to see that in the book of Thessalonians in just a minute. So, so don't think the world is just spiraling out of control until ultimately Jesus comes and writes things. Listen, we are beginning, even now, to see our economy make a turn. We're beginning to see things happen. Right? America is having a summit with North Korea for the denuclearization of the peninsula. Right? Things are happening, things are going on. Meetings are happening around the world, and I'm not gonna have I don't have time to, to go through and see all of these things because I think in every generation you could put to things that would give you hope and insight uh, leaning towards the, the period of time that would be in the tribulation. But listen, particularly when the Christians are gone, the world is going to rejoice that they have cast off the bonds, they've broken the fetters, life is going to be great, and then sudden destruction is going to come uh, upon them. Notice what he says. Notice what he says. That's, just, that's not it. Race, nations is going to rise, but in all these things, verse 8, these things are merely the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away, will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold, but to the one who endures to the end, He will be saved. And look at this word in verse 14. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. I have heard people say that we shouldn't be looking for Christ to return because the Gospel has been preached to all nations, um, so until now, once the gospel has been preached to all nations, then you better be on the lookout. They get that falsely from verse fourteen and and that 's not what that 's saying there, but let me just simply say this in passing we have the technology right now through satellites and other means to get the gospel to any part of the world there is there's Christian radio there are preachers being being a priest, anywhere that there is that the messages are being sent out where there's a transmitter or a receiver the, the, the world could have the gospel just like that it doesn't we've got the technology we've got the satellites in the sky we've got all the things that would happen we have the internet goodness there's no reason that the, the, the gospel can't get to the nations in a minute. So don't don't look to that. By the way, I don't know about you, but I'm not looking for the Antichrist to come. I'm looking for Christ to come. Now you can be looking at all the signs and wonders and wonder who the Antichrist is and all of these things. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pay attention to those things, but the predominantly things that I'm looking for, the predominant thing that I'm waiting for is the Lord Jesus to come back. Amen? But then we get to verse 15. And this is specifically regarding the tribulation. And I would remind you that these are the words of Christ. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation... Now, what's the abomination of desolation? The temple in Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt and the Antichrist is going to uh, reign from there. They're going to believe that He's the Messiah, that He is the Christ. The world is going to be persuaded that this guy is legit. And he's going to desecrate the temple. Now the temple hasn't been rebuilt, but they have all the materials and resources and all the things that are not, but it's going to be rebuilt and there. But when the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in the house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that But pray that your flight will not be in winter or on a Sabbath. Now look at this, verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation... "...such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will." And beloved, what Jesus is referring to right here in Matthew chapter 24 are the events that we're going to study uh, in the coming weeks from Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 18. How bad will it get? Verse 22, Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Listen to me carefully. Even in the midst of the tribulation, the world is not out of control. Jesus is still sovereign and in control of every step along the way. I will remind you when we get to Revelation, what we're going to see is is Jesus has that scroll. And Jesus is the one who opens the scroll and breaks the seal. (laughs) Jesus is the one who tells the agent of wrath to come and He sends them. He is in absolute sovereign control of every ounce of judgment, every pouring out of wrath, everything that takes place. One thing we're going to see over and over and over again in Revelation 6-18, through is that God is sovereign and absolutely in control of everything that unfolds and everything that takes place. And if anyone says to you, verse 23, Behold, here is Christ, or there He is. Do not believe Him, for false Christs and prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. But He says, I've told you, Uh, in advance move over if you would we've got to see a couple of things look in first revelation excuse me first thessalonians chapter 4 i want you to again to to be reminded so we're going to see that this is going to come upon uh, all nations uh by the way let me just throw let me throw this in there revelation chapter 3 Because we've seen pretty so far that the tribulation is going to be on the Jewish people. Right? Now we see the, the nation's going to be there as well. But just mark this if you're taking notes. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Jesus says that talking to the church, I'm going to keep you from the hour of testing. This is a tribulation. And notice what he says in Revelation 3:10 about this hour of testing. The tribulation, this hour of testing that is about to come upon the whole earth to dwell, uh, to test those who dwell on the earth. So this tribulation is going to affect the entirety of the world, Jew and Gentile alike. His wrath is going to be poured out. But beloved, I want you to know and I want you to be uh, reminded just quickly in Revelation 4.13, that those who are saved, Christ bore our wrath on the cross. And therefore, we will not experience the wrath of God being poured out in the tribulation. The wrath has already been poured out on our behalf Christ has endured our shame, our guilt, paid the penalty for our sin upon the earth, and we are going to be delivered from the wrath of God that is to come. It says so in 1st Thessalonians 4:13, don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as the rest, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ... Will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Now, why is he going to do that? And this is important to get into a little bit of next week. But I want to go ahead and say this now because I don't want you believing that you are awaiting the wrath of God to be poured out. Look with me if you would. What's it going to be like? Look in chapter 5. Verse 2, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, the beginning of Revelation chapter 6, then destruction will come upon them suddenly. Not us, them. We'll talk about that next week. Suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with a child and they, not us, they will not escape. Who is the us and who is the they? The they and the them are the unsaved people on the earth, Jew, Gentile alike. They shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. But notice verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath. But I want you to understand this and understand this clearly that if you are saved, God has predestined you. God has done amazing, sovereign works in your life to bring you to the point of where you are, and He will continue to direct your steps in the days ahead. And even when He pours out His wrath upon the entire earth, those who are truly saved, born again, God has not destined us for wrath before the obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, which takes us to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because why will it get so bad? Let's answer this question quickly and be done. No. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. They thought in chapter 1 that they had missed the rapture, and Paul assures them that they haven't. Now they believe that they're in the end times, and he's writing to say these are the things that's going to happen in the end times. This is what you need to be on the lookout for. Uh, notice, notice what he says, do you not remember verse five while I was still with you? I was telling you these things, and you know what restrains him now 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 what is what does that mean go go back up, go back up verse verse well let 's start in verse one. now we request request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him that you not be quickly shaken from your composure, be disturbed by a spirit, a message, a letter, as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you. So look at this. It will not come unless the apostasy falling away comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. And who's the man of lawlessness? The man of lawlessness is the Antichrist. Okay, When the Antichrist is revealed, who is the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That's what the Antichrist is going to do, right? The Antichrist is going to go into the temple. He's going to take the seat in the temple. He's going to display himself as God. Do you not remember the well, law was still with you? I was telling you these things. And you know what restrains him now. So that in his time he will be revealed. Now look in verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Well, why isn't evil taken over as much as evil Is. Why isn't he taking over now? If there are many antichrists and the man of lawlessness is is being is is is, is here and available, why is he not taking over and doing his things because of the restrainer? Because look at this, verse 7. For the ministry of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so for how long? How long will the restrainer restrain? Now, first of all, what is a restrainer? <clears throat> the, the world is rushing towards evil reign and rule by the Antichrist, but he is not able to do all that he wants to do. He is being restrained right now. So who is the one who is restraining the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, from accomplishing everything that he would like to accomplish and do? The restrainer. And who is the restrainer? The restrainer is the one who restrains him and will do so, now look at this, until he is taken out of the way. We've looked at this extensively in the past when we studied 2 Thessalonians, but the restrainer is the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. And one way that scholars describe who the restrainer is, is where is the Holy Spirit now? The Holy Spirit is God. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But the Holy Spirit of God is also in the lives of people. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption. So the the Holy Spirit of God is in the church. It's in the believer's life. It's sealing us. And when the restrainer is removed, and scholars believe that in order for the restrainer, the Holy Spirit of God to be removed, the church will have to be removed as well, and when that happens, when that happens, notice what notice what happens. Verse eight. Then, when that restrainer is out of the way, then the lawless one will be revealed from the Lord, uh, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth. And bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one who is coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. The first time the Antichrist is connected to Satan and and his activity with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish. Why do they do that? Because they did not receive the love of the truth as to be saved. And therefore, God will send upon them a deluding spirit to believe the lie that they have bought into and to carry them through to destruction. But we are living in a time now where the restrainer is restraining. I know every day when you turn on the news and you see evil, I promise you it's not as evil as what it could be when you see devastation and destruction it's not to the greatest infinite level of devastation and destruction as the world will see when the restrainer is removed well when the when did the restrainer come mm, the bible doesn't say but certainly there would be no need for a restrainer in Genesis chapter 1 or chapter 2. But certainly by the time we get to Genesis chapter 3 and sending it into the world, sin would ultimately take over and affect everything there is from that point, including now. You and I are benefiting now from the restrainer's presence upon the earth. But ultimately, and perhaps soon, the restrainer will be removed. And when the restrainer, restrainer is removed, Jesus will break the seal... Of Revelation chapter six verse one, and when he does, he will say, "Come," and the four horsemen will come and begin to pour out um, the the things needed for his judgment to come in the great uh, tribulation. So, beloved, when I say that you are not here, I would simply remind you of this truth: that judgment is indeed coming judgment is coming, the wrath of God will be poured out. And at the same time, at the same time, we who know Jesus have not been destined to wrath. We will be removed from the hour of testing that will come upon the whole earth. My question for you is this. Number one, are you certain beyond a shadow of a doubt That you are ready for the return of Christ to come in that great day. And will you, will you miss the hour of testing that's going to come upon the whole world? I believe in that day when that happens, there will be people who sat in church pews. I do believe that there will be people who are professors of Christ who will experience the wrath of God. They profess with His mouth, Lord, Lord, and do not the things He calls them to do. There are many who profess Christ who will experience the the tribulation and the devastation and destruction to follow. But beloved, there will not be anyone who possesses Christ. There will not be anyone who has repented, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, been saved, that the Lord Jesus Christ lives inside of them in their heart. There will not be anyone who possesses Jesus Christ and the salvation that He offers that will experience one ounce of the wrath of God once the restrainer is removed. Are you sure that you're not a professor only? And can you look at the activity and the actions and the attitude of your life to give fruit, to give evidence that such claim is true. Because if you profess with your mouth these truths, but there's no fruit to follow to demonstrate it, beloved, there's not much that you can put stake in. But if you possess Christ and Christ lives inside of you and the fruit of your life bears witness of the truth of that reality, then beloved, you have nothing to be concerned about as it comes to that day. May all of us rest in the confidence and the assurance of our salvation in such a way that we will miss that day. But number two, the opposite is true as well. There are people who say, I am confident that I am saved, that I know Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior, and I'm going to heaven, and Christ bore my wrath, and therefore I can live however I want to live and do whatever I'm going to do because I'm a child of God, and I can live any way that I please because once saved, always saved. Beloved, hear me and hear me well. If that is your attitude and mindset, number one, you might want to check yourself because you're probably not saved. You're probably not saved. But I do believe once saved, always saved. If God, God has regenerated you, if you have repented of your sins, believe the Lord and possessed Christ and His salvation, listen to me, then you know the price that was paid for your sin and therefore you hate that sin that still resides in your life. You don't continue in it. You don't let your tongue fly because that's what you've always done. You don't let your attitudes and your actions go there and reflect something other than Christ and be okay with it. You hate that sin in your life. You hate the residing sin that continues to dwell in your life because you understand the price that Christ paid. And therefore, you guard against those sins. You eliminate them from your life. You confess them and you walk away from them. You don't dally in them. And continue to enjoy them as though as though there's no consequences for those sins. You are broken before God and hate the very fact that you were unable to control your tongue and those words just came out. And you're grieved by that. That you didn't have the willpower to not sin that email or to not share that gossip or to not spew that poison or engage in that activity or look at that thing that you did. You are broken and grieved because of those things and when they happen the Holy Spirit of God convicts you and you repent or else God judges you. Beloved, Hebrews chapter 12 says, if we have sin in our life, our Heavenly Father will discipline us. In fact, one of the ways that I know that I'm saved is that He disciplines me whenever I sin. And discipline is painful for a purpose. So if you're just sinning and sinning and sinning and getting by with it and not feeling convicted, Brother, based on the authority of Hebrews chapter 12, you better check yourself to make sure that you're in the faith. Because whom the Lord loves, He chastens, right? So, two things. Unbeliever, repent. Believe the gospel and be saved so that you don't endure the wrath of God to come. Believer, don't dally in sin. You see what the judgment is going to be like upon the whole earth. But don't think that you're going to miss out and that you're missing out now, continuing to dabble in the sin that you are. Repent of it. Return to the Lord. First John says this, Everyone who is looking forward to His appearing will purify himself even as he himself is pure. May God do that work in purifying work in our lives. And may we press ahead towards holiness through the grace and mercy that He gives us reminding us that His grace is unending and, beloved, His mercies are new every day. Let's stand for prayer.